Well, welcome to nice, sunshiny Florida. <laughs> I got totally disillusioned, but we're glad we're here. Um, God has certainly shown us his grace and his love and his care throughout our lives. Both my wife and I were born into Christian families. We sense a great responsibility to um, share the fact that God does work in families, and that's one of our prime ministries in Colombia. We have uh, been involved in uh, several couples' nights out where we talk about marriage and the family. Also, we recently had a, uh, a three-day weekend retreat over uh, with regard to the family. And God has blessed our family, our personal family, um, our brothers and sisters and their families, but especially our own with seven children. Uh, five of our children are married, and we have 20 grand re- grandchildren here on earth and a number of grandchildren that have gone on have gone on before. We were in Argentina from 1976 through 1993, and uh, when our oldest son started college, we came back to Michigan. And uh, then our son, who was uh, our number six, who was single, went to Columbia uh, three years ago. And then he started inviting us to visit, and, and the Lord said, Here's the, here's the place. And uh, we, got, we arrived in Bogota in January of this year, and um, now we're just uh, swinging around to visit our family and the people who know us. Um, so I sent out feelers. I said years ago there used to be a list made by Workers Together where you could uh, find hospitality as you traveled around the United States, and Brother Malcolm responded to my emails. He said, there still is hospitality, so thank you very much. Yeah. Um, we intend to leave as soon as possible, um, scheduled tomorrow, but God will determine that, to go to Mexico, to the Yucatan, where our daughter lives, with our son-in-law and three granddaughters, uh, ministering there in Merida. And after that, we'll go on to Michigan. Well, we have some wonderful passages here in chapter 44 and 45 of Genesis, and we're going to have to pick and choose a little bit, but um, uh, really special chapters. There's so many special things. I'll, I'll try to mention as many as I can in the time that we have. In chapter 44, we see that uh, Joseph's brothers have come back again, and Joseph is testing them. I remember as a young person to wonder, well, why did Joseph put them through all of all of this testing and all this time and go back again? Why didn't he, you know, they show up. Why didn't he say, hey, I'm here, I'm Joseph, you know? And uh, there's a real reason. You see, God is using Joseph as a pen in his hand to write a story for all of us. The whole Old Testament is full of these men and women whom God used to write a message. And the message is, my son is coming. He is coming and he will be like this. 
or he will not be like this. And Joseph is one of the pens that is most like Jesus. Bill McDonald has written a book about Joseph being like Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen that particular book, but it's uh, neat. And uh, showing us all the ways that the life of Joseph is similar to the life of Christ. And you see, in chapter 44, we have something that the Bible teaches us that is fundamental to our relationship with God. And that is that God requires of us a genuine repentance. And that is why Joseph tested his brothers. It was necessary in order to restore fellowship that there be a genuine repentance. And that was Joseph's purpose all along, to restore the broken fellowship. And what is God's purpose with us but to restore that broken fellowship, to bring us back into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we see Joseph testing his brothers and sending uh, the money and then sending his special cup in the sack of Benjamin. And when the cup was discovered, the brothers, of course, tore their clothes, and that's their expression of deep grief. And they, were, they had said, you know, whoever's sack the cup is found in, let him be killed, and the rest of us will be your slaves. Of course, Joseph insists that, no, that's, that's not necessary. Just the one in whom... Who, in, in whose sack the cup is found. He will be my slave, and the rest of you are free to go. Well, um, you know that Judah had said that he would be responsible for Benjamin. And so uh, starting here in Genesis 44 and verse 16, uh, <clears throat> then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also within, with whom the cup has found. That phrase, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Judah probably knew that they were innocent of that cup being in. Benjamin's sack. Many people think, and I tend to agree with him, that this expression here refers to the iniquity of sending Joseph off with the slave traders. He didn't say, you have found the iniquity of your servants. He said, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. You see, our offenses, and we all have many of them, our offenses are not first with the person we see. Our offense is first with God. Because God has made us to be people who love. God has made us to be people who care. God has made us to be people who are kind, who are gentle, who look to the other person's well-being first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, we heard this morning, and your neighbor as yourself. 
God first, others next, self last. And we probably need to say, say way last, because <laughs> that's our problem. It's my problem. I look out for Paul more than anybody else. And only God can change our hearts so that our hearts beat to the rhythm of others. Well, this is what is happening to Judah. We're seeing a change. We're seeing a true repentance. And a true repentance is a change of 180 degrees from what we were doing to what we should be doing under God. And Judah is the one, more than any other, who instigated the selling of Joseph into Egypt. It is fitting that it is Judah who makes the appeal, that it is Judah who makes the repentance. Did Joseph do this just as, you know, kind of stick it to him? No, I don't think so. You see, in order that there would be a true reconciliation, in order that there would be that ability to join together as one, in order that there would be the possibility that there be family again, it was necessary that the sin be acknowledged and dealt with. And that is what God asks of each one of us. There are a lot of false gospels out there today. And one of them is, well, accept Jesus also. (laughs) You know, add him on to what you have. The Bible teaches us Jesus only. But in order to have Jesus only, we have to admit where we're at. We have to say to God, you know my heart. (laughs) I can't hide anything from you. And I am sick and tired of myself. Please forgive me. Take my life, dear God. Turn me around. I'm, I'm, I'm tired of who I am. I repent of who I am. Make me a new person. Make me a man of God or a woman of God. And God receives us. You see, there is a basis upon which God can receive every person in this world. And all of us have sinned. All of us are sinners. There's big sinners and medium-sized sinners and little sinners, and every, every one is destined for an eternity in the lake of fire. You see, God doesn't measure our sin by the kind of sin, but by the God who's been offended. Have I offended my God? Have I offended my maker? The Bible says we all have. So God requires a true repentance. If we are to be be reunited with our God, we need to be honest, sincere, open. Just lay it out. And God will say, yes, all of that, all of that waywardness, all of that abstinence, all of that is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus died. Jesus himself said that he didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners. I just said a bit ago that the Bible says we're all sinners. 
his point was, you know, if you think you're fine, you're not going to get saved. Once we admit our sin, what we've done, then there's salvation for us. Let's look at more of what Judah says here. Verse 17, Judah, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup... Oh, excuse me, this is Joseph. Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, and I, that I may see, set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me. And I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen. When he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? And the key verse is 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad, as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. I'd like to pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have taught us through the Bible. We thank you that you love each one of us with an everlasting love. We thank you that you have provided salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you for this part of your word. We pray that you would continue to guide us in this morning hour. We pray that your name would be honored and glorified above all. In Jesus' name, amen. The fact that Judah is ready and willing to stand in the place of the guilty indicates that he is truly repentant. And starting in chapter 45, we're going to see how Joseph responds. He opens his arms to him. But there is another story here in chapter 44 that I need to mention before we go on. And that is that Judah's attitude and willingness to take the place of his brother 
is like the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he was ready and willing to put himself in our place so that we might go free. The innocent giving his life in place of the guilty in the case of our Lord. Now, Judah wasn't innocent, so that part doesn't fit, but the rest certainly does. To understand that in order that he might bring with him many brothers and sisters to glory, he was willing to take our place. God the Father knows that we're guilty. And it was not just a test, it was the real deal. And we come with sin on our hands to God, and God says, on what basis? The Bible says that the, the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And with my sin, what is my chance? Job was being accused in the book of Job of, of sinning, that the loss and the boils and everything that he was receiving was a result of his sin. Now, Job wasn't perfect, but he was a righteous man. He was consciously, in his mind, he was doing what God had asked him to do. But in, in his desperation, in his situation, he cried out, give me a man to go between. Give me someone that can go to God for me. And come from God for me. Because in the, te- in the testing of Job, God had also cut off the fellowship. He was in a true test. He was on his own. And Job cries out, give me a man. And we read of a man in the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the man that God is trying to prepare all of us for in the Old Testament. Have you ever noticed how much how much longer the Old Testament is than the New? It shows the mercy and grace of God to get things ready. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. You will know him because he will be the only one to keep the Ten Commandments. One time they let down a man through the roof so that Jesus could heal him. And the man comes down the paralytic and Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. (gasps) Only God can forgive sins. Hmm, Only God can forgive sins. This must be God! No, no. (laughs) We are so slow. I'm so slow. They should have known. So much preparation. Jesus said to them, you read the scriptures, you study them, and they are they that testify of me. How did you miss it? John chapter 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But a few, as many as received him, to them he gave the authority, the right, to become children of God. And that's what God desires. 
Not the not everybody. There's many. I'm glad there's thousands and millions. The world in which we live has rejected Jesus Christ. He's come to us, but generally we have rejected Jesus Christ. But he is merciful and gracious to the one, to the few that receive him. So we see in Judah's repentance also the aspect of a substitute. And the man, Christ Jesus, is the one who died in our place. Now, God is a just God. He is a righteous God. He is a righteous judge. And as a judge, he will not, he cannot deny himself. He will not punish the same sin twice. Now, since the Bible tells me that Jesus died for me, God cannot and will not punish me if I am in Christ. The question then becomes how to get into Christ. And the Bible says by trusting him, by placing all my hope, all my life, all possibility of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so you can't have... You're pie and eat it too, but you can't have all the religions and add Christ on. No. It's all of me in Christ. And once I trust him fully, and I don't admit any other possibilities, the Bible says there's only one name, Jesus, in which I can be saved. So I narrow it all down to one man, to Jesus Christ, and I discover there's a narrow door It's called Jesus Christ. He is the door. And then once I get through, I discover that in him, there's everything. The father who gave his son, how will he not give with him everything else? And that's what the Christian life is about. And that leads us right into chapter 45. Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Like I mentioned, I used to wonder how Joseph could wait and wait and wait and put his brothers through testing. And then I realized he needed for them to Repent. But in that waiting and waiting and waiting, we see the heart of God waiting for us. If you have not come to Jesus, God is waiting for you. And how is he waiting? Not passively. God's heart is full of passion for each person for whom he is waiting. Verse 2, he wept aloud. He wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. I'd like to share something from our own lives that's going to be hard for me to share. I mentioned we have grandchildren in heaven. 
The last one who left us was Landon. Landon lived three days. And the day that he left us all, we held his little body. He was already with the Lord. And our daughter, our daughter wept aloud. Loud. Because God did not make us to be separated. And God did not make us to be separated from Him. And He weeps aloud for each one of us. One day Jesus was standing over Jerusalem, looking down. And he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he said. I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. You would not. The Bible says God is not far from any man. problems in here. You would not. If you have rejected God, don't reject him anymore. He would he is weeping aloud for you. God's heart is torn for you. You see, and those of us who have received him, many times we don't realize just how much God loves us. We do think of the cross, but here we are seeing the heart of God. Joseph is a pen in God's hand, as I mentioned. We are to learn from the Old Testament beautiful things, precious things, of our Lord, and he weeps aloud that we might come near. First time we came back from Argentina, our first furlough, we'd been away from family, and um, I remember in the airport, uh, saw a different family once, but my brother was there. I have one brother, and the emotions just wham. And I hugged him and wept. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Joseph does here. It's that at long last, at long last, at long last, we're together. 
Joseph said to his brothers, verse 3, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Could it be that after all my waywardness, all my time away from God, that he still loves me? Yep. That he still wants me? Yep. That he longs to have me with himself? That he longs to bring me into a relationship, a fellowship, through the Spirit of God, which I can live and know that He is with me always, that He cares for me, that He provides wisdom from God and strength from God, power from God, the ability to do things that don't not only please God, but please the people around me. That God is able to transform my life in such a way that I become a source of strength and joy and love to other people that I become unselfish, that my ego just disappears. Yes, it's possible. Not only so, that is what God wants to do. And those of us who know him understand that it's possible to break the fellowship, to fall out of that relationship. But there is a way back for everyone. The kid said this morning, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to, to wipe the, the slate clean, to wash us up from all the stink of our sin. My brother and I with a neighbor boy, one time we were out in the backwoods. We grew up in the country, back in the, in the fields. And... Uh, the wind brought a little ascent to our noses, our nostrils, and it was the scent of a skunk. Well, being adventurous boys as we were, we decided to go toward the scent. Okay? I often wonder which one of the enemy's helpers put this box in the dump in the, at the back of the farm. It was, a, it was a box that didn't have any holes or leaks in it, and it had a hinge on it with a top you could close, and it was, it was just perfect. How it got in the dump, I don't know. It was a good box. It was made of wood, was strong, and it was skunk-proof. And the same uh, whoever put the box in the dump also put an old wash tub, quote-unquote, shield. So one of us got behind the box with the top open, and the other one used the shield, directing the skunk toward the box. Well, the stream was hitting the shield, right? And we got in the box, and we were good, because we didn't get any on ourselves. And so we got the skunk in the box, and now what do we do? Well, you take him home, right? So we took the skunk home, my brother and I, the neighbor stayed at his place, and we got to the back door, and we were opening the door, and Mom was there. And we said, Mom, we got a skunk. And she said, yeah, I know. But he doesn't smell. We didn't get any on ourselves. And she said, yes, he smells. And you smell. You stink. No, we don't. And my testimony is that we didn't think we smelled. 
we had got used to the stink, the smell. And the reason I'm telling the story is that we can get used to our sin. Even though to God it stinks. Well, being in the country, you can imagine we stripped down to our skivvies and on the porch. And Mom sent us to wash. And we got washed and freshened up. And the next day we went to school and we were fine. But the neighbor boy, who was more obstinate and didn't obey and whose mom had been tired of telling him what to do, he also told his mom that he didn't stink. And she says, oh, what can I do if you insist? So he comes to school the next day with the same clothes on that he had the day before when we got the skunk. And now my brother and I are going, you stink! Well, in the same day when we were both all with the skunk, none of us stunk. You see, we need God to tell us that we stink, that we are sinners, and God has told us that's where we are. But we also need God to wash us clean. And praise God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are washed clean. And now we can live a life that we don't stink. It's just when we insist in our own way, in our own manner of thinking, to insist that I'm okay prevents me from getting washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just give God la razón. Help me, my Spanish brother. Give God the reason. You know, God, God knows what he's saying. And good. So Joseph wept. He told him who he was. And verse 4. I love this verse. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Please come near. God is saying, I, for, I will forgive your sins. I will cleanse you. Please come near. And he's still saying it to me. I'm not near enough. Nearer. Nearer. There are even songs that talk about it. Closer to you, Lord. Nearer. Please come near. Please come near. Get used to it. I am a God who loves you, who cares for you, who wants you near. One of the reasons for our visit right now is to be near. This is uh, being in Colombia is not like what, back when we were in Argentina. Argentina, years in the 70s, we wrote letters. Two, two weeks there and two weeks back. Now we can do Skype. You know, we can see each other talking. We can hear each other. But we're not near. <laughs> you can't hug on Skype. <laughs> and God wants us near. And we sense that we are waiting for His coming because we're not quite near enough. But even while we are waiting, we need to be nearer. Don't doubt it. 
Don't say, Lord, I'm doing fine. I'll check in once in a while. No, no, no. All the time. All the time. Come near. Don't be grieved or angry, verse 5, with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You see, Joseph is a picture of Christ. Was sent ahead. He was given over by his brothers as dead in in figure. Joseph died and was risen again. He's at the right hand of Pharaoh, just as our Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father. Don't get upset about it. Just believe it. (coughs) We shouldn't stand here grieving about the fact that we crucified the Son of Glory. We should grieve, but that's not the, not the result that he wants. We should also give glory to God, hallelujah, that he died for me. That God in Christ reconciled the world. He brought us near in Jesus Christ. And so we say, God, I'm sorry. And we turn and we accept Christ and we say, praise God. For the one who in the eternal counsels of God was offered up for me. Because now there's no punishment. Now there's no death. There's life. There's fellowship. There's union with Jesus Christ. Communion. Common union with Jesus Christ. Amazing. Amazing love. (laughs) How can it be? that he should die for me. You meant it for evil. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost days. Pentecost. And he says, you know, you did this. And they're going like, oh, what are we supposed to do? (laughs) Receive him. God didn't make a mistake. He knew what he was doing. But it was your hands that crucified him. Forgive me, Lord. And we go through that narrow gate, but that beautiful gate of salvation. And we find ourselves united with the one who gave his life for us. Just mention, many times we talk about things that Jesus has done for us. Amen. Talk about that how he saves us. But you know, once once you realize that you belong to him, the things that he does for us, the things that he has done for us, are very logical conclusions of who he is. Who he is. As I got older, I realized that he was the one. That... Life has value because of who he is. But it has value because of the relationship with him. The beauty of being a Christian is belonging to Christ. And I had seen others that had the same point of view. And then I'm long, I'm reading a book. It says, the younger ones are taken up with what Christ has done. And the older ones with who he is. So if you're young, hey, switch over. 
It's much more valuable, much, much richer to appreciate who he is. And all the things he's done just comes out of who he is. And that's the kind of Lord we have. He loved us because he is love. He provides for us because he's a God of provision. Everything he does flows out of who he is. And what he has done has brought us into fellowship with him. Now, when we, when we appreciate who he is, it's a lot harder to fall into sin because that sin breaks that fellowship. And when we love him, when we love him, we can't stand to break the fellowship. And sin gets ugly to our eyes, and we hate it because we love him. And that's the message of Genesis 45. He desires to have us. And so what does he do? Verse 14, he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. How close can you get? After that, his brothers talked with him. Talk with Jesus, walk with Jesus. Say, well, there's a lot of things going on. My wife and I just started reading in Ecclesiastes. And the Bible says, you know, all these things that are going on under the sun, they just finish. You can do them for a long time, but they all come to an end and end and end and end and end and end. But this relationship with Jesus Christ is forever. So, well, I mean, nobody's standing around with their arms crossed doing nothing. So things we do under the sun are, are fine. But they're not fine if that is the goal. They're not fine if that's our life is bound up in them because they're all going to end. So while we're living, let's have something that's and someone that's really of value. And that's what eternal life is about. Eternal life is life with the eternal one. This is life eternal, that they might know you. The um, I'm caught into Spanish. Anyway, knowing God and knowing his son, whom he has sent. And that's what God has for us. So there's a lot more in these two chapters, but our time is gone. Um, all the blessings, the provision that uh, Joseph was going to do for his brothers. You got the best of the land. You'll be with me close by. All of these Neat, neat things that Joseph did for his brothers. God, in his great love and his great plan, has provided everything in Jesus Christ. It's not just a ticket to heaven when this life ends, no. When you belong to Christ, it starts right now. Right now. Right when you receive him. And the joy and the fullness and the relationship drawing close like we did this morning. That's why we're here. And that God has reached down and saved us, and now He says, oh, I'm, I'm going to include you 
in the things that I'm doing. I'm reaching out to other people as well. And I'm not going to send angels down. I'm going to use you guys. <laughs> Fathers and mothers, you know, you, you know how it works. I'll end with this one. My wife says, I really should have taught my daughters more about cooking. You know, I did some, but I wish I would have done more. But you know how it is. It takes twice as long to cook anything when you're teaching your daughter. It's easier just to do it yourself, you know. Or dad, you know, you're going to put some shelves up in the garage, you know. Well, if you were going to get it done in four hours, if you take your son with you, it's eight. And you know that before you even get started. But we do it. Why do we do it? Why do we take someone who doesn't have any ability? We take them with us to do something that needs to get done, to train them and to to help them. Well, I think we do it because we love them. (laughs) I think we take them with us and teach them because we love them, because we like to be with them. And our God (laughs) takes us And He wants to be with us. And He wants to guide us and direct us and show us, no, not this way, this way. This is how you hold the hammer. This is how you hold the nail. And if the nail is small, you take it with pliers because you don't want to smash your thumb. Small things like that our God does with us. He is so wonderful. And if you're from Colombia, God is so chivity. Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for your great love to us. We thank you for being a God that's so wonderful, loving, kind, gracious. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for the fact that he came here looking for us, desiring, just pleading, oh, please, make it possible to restore the fellowship. Dear Father, if there is anyone here, or those who are here, who have not received Jesus Christ, Show them by your Holy Spirit that they need to repent. That's the only thing standing in the way of a relationship with their Creator God and with their Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we're walking down life's way with you, dear Father, help us to be those who are mature in our faith. When we fall, when we sin, when we offend, might we be the first and the fastest to ask for forgiveness from you, dear Father, and from the person that we've offended. For this is the way that we can walk in fellowship with you and with one another. Thank you for this morning's hour. In Jesus' name, amen.